Right, morning everybody. It's great to be together. I'm just going to pray for a moment and then we will get to work. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your only son, that anyone who believes in him might not perish but would instead have eternal life in and through Christ Jesus. And we thank you that you are a God of love. We thank you, Lord, even this morning we're recipients of your love. We pray as we turn to the scriptures now, would you remind us of your great love towards us, that we would go from this place encouraged, strengthened in faith, built up, loving you more, excited at what you're doing in these days, excited and believing that you are bringing life to this great city through your people because of your kingdom advance in our lives. And so, Lord, we just say, here we are. Come and help us. Come and encourage us this morning by your spirit. We pray. Amen. Amen. So, as Nigel said, we're starting a new series this morning called Encounter. We, we want to be a church that pursues the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We want to go after the Holy Spirit with abandon. We want to have our lives infused with the person and the work of the Holy Spirit daily, moment by moment, being those who keep in step with the Spirit. And the reason for that is when we see the early church right at the start, so Jesus ascended to heaven, and we get a picture of the early church in Acts 2, we see several key things happening to the believers, to the new believers. So we see that they're born again. They've placed their faith in Jesus. They've repented of sin. They've turned to Christ Jesus. They got baptized in water. So just as we saw last week when the guys were, were sharing their testimony and then that great moment where you plunge them underwater. Hey, I've died to my old self. It's, no, it's now no longer I who lives for me, but I live for Jesus Christ. They were, the early church were repeatedly filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. Over and over again, they encountered the refreshing, filling and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit And then the young believers got joined into a local church. Now, you may know this or you may not. It might interest you or it may not. But I'm aware that today in churches much like ours, there's a, a, I guess if you like, a re-examining of the place of the person of the Holy Spirit in the life of a local church. What should we expect his involvement to be and to look like? What should we be shooting for? How are we to understand such things? Maybe, maybe it was good for a few years back. That was what God was doing. But now we've kind of moved on past the Holy Spirit. And I'm aware that, that there is movement in churches much like ours of people saying, we're kind of moving away from the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We, we believe in him, but we're not expecting him to do much dynamically as we gather together. We, we believe he's vital for mission, but... As the gathered people of God, we're not expecting him necessarily to break out and move in power and signs and wonders. And I wonder if, as a church, maybe over the last season, we've kind of drifted, not wholeheartedly in that way of thinking, but slightly edged towards, yeah, he, because he can make things quite difficult at times. He can turn up and do whatever he wants. It can make things quite awkward. When you see some of the gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit, it can be like, yikes, what's going on here? And, and it's at times kind of easier to edge away. And ever so slowly, bit by bit, you can find 
or we can find, or I can find, we're just slowly beginning to move away from the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So we want to spend these next weeks engaging with this question of what does life in the Spirit look like? If you, if you like, what's the doctrine of the Spirit and what's our expectation thereof? So what are we expecting as we gather together as a people of God? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do I get it all at once when I first believe or does it happen later? What, what impact should that have on my life? What about following the Spirit and learning to listen from Him? What about the gifts He gives to the local church? How are they to work themselves out? And we're going to engage with a whole load of these questions. This morning, I want to use this as an opportunity almost to lay a foundation of who is the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm aware that for us as a body, we are coming these days from a breadth of church background. So people who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, coming from all kinds of churches. Some people coming from churches where they say, we don't really do the Holy Spirit, but we're here and we love it here. And we're kind of okay with it. And other people who kind of go, we're only interested in the Holy Spirit. And I'm just aware there's this breadth amongst us, which, if I may say, I think is incredibly exciting. We need one another. We learn from one another. And God is glorified, even in diversity. Diversity at times of how we understand the scriptures, it actually, iron sharpens iron. And as we wrestle through these things, we actually get more of God as we, if we engage with the scriptures faithfully and well. And so I hope as we, as we go through this series, we, we get a new foundation in us of life in the Spirit. I've recently discovered how important foundations are again. Emma and I, we're, we, we've bought a new house. We're in the process of moving and the builders have at last started work doing some renovation and a few adaptations and that. And apart from it taking ages to sort out budgeting builders and architects and submitting plans and everything else, we finally got going on our building project a few weeks back. And I, and I realized the moment when you're most excited that suddenly this new thing's springing up is a moment when you don't actually see anything. And far from something springing up, something actually is going down into the ground. And so the first two weeks, we'd kind of go and visit every so often. Emma wants to go every hour. Check the builders are working. And we'd go and visit. And all we were doing was looking at foundations. I mean, incredibly boring things. But all this effort and energy and all this money being piled into the ground for something you never see and never even think about. You don't, when, you, when you're having a new build or a renovation done, you don't say to your friends, hey, come over to my house and come and inspect my foundations. What a strange person that would do that. They're, they're five-meter piles, don't you know? This house ain't going nowhere. You don't, you don't point people to the foundations. You say, do you like our new windows? We chose these ones because they're triple glazed. And, and look at our lovely new wallpaper. You don't, you don't think about the foundations. They just are there and they do an important function. Yet foundations are crucial to the thing that's being built on top. Get the foundations wrong and you end up with a pile of rubble. Even Jesus said that, didn't he? He said, the wise man, he built his house upon the rock and the foolish man built his house on sand, two different types of foundations. And then when the winds come and the rains come, if your house is not built on the rock, Jesus Christ, then your house comes falling down. The moment the winds and rains lash, your house falls down. Jesus knew about foundations. He knew about the importance of foundations, even in just building work. He used it as an illustration. I'm sure he had seen two guys building houses as neighbors competing. Who's got the bigger house? 
Who's got the better house? Who's got the, the three camel spaces as opposed to just the one camel parking space? And, and I'm sure Jesus laughed to himself as he observed these two guys. And he's like, well, one's got the idea. He's building on the rock. The other one's building on sand. And so foundations are incredibly important. There's a world-famous architect called Frank Gehry who is an architect in the deconstructivist movement of architecture, which basically means he looks at design of buildings and he says, why do buildings have to be square with roofs on that look like this? And why can't they just have, why, why do we build buildings that need to look like they're finished? Why can't we build buildings and they look unfinished? Or why do we have to build buildings where walls are straight and true? Why not build buildings where they look like they've already fallen over? Or that they've melted in the sun? And so he's like, a, he's like a moody child with his architecture. But the thing is, he can come up with as many great ideas. And it is incredible architecture. But he can come up with as many incredible ideas. But do you know he's constrained in the same way as every other architect is? You can muck about with the top as much as you want. But if your foundations aren't right, you end up with a pile of rubble. And guys, I wonder if God is calling us to re-examine this foundation of life in the spirit. We are in desperate need. In fact, not just us, but the church of Jesus Christ is in desperate need of an infusion of the spirit of God. Of us pursuing the, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, that supernatural activity, life in the spirit. And so please don't think we are going to spend five, six weeks on an intellectual exercise. Yes, we want to examine scripture. Yes, we want to take that seriously and build a local church that looks like the scriptures, that looks how we're, like how we're instructed to build a local church. But far be it from the Holy Spirit to be an intellectual exercise where we tick a box at the end of it and say, now we understand. I believe this series is an invitation to encounter the living God. Each one of us afresh to be refilled. To encounter his power in our lives and in our community together. Gordon Fee, an American theologian who's elderly but still alive, he said this. He said, if today's church is going to recapture the effectiveness of the early church, we need to recapture the Apostle Paul's perspective. The Spirit as the experienced, empowering return of God's presence in and among us, who enables us to live radical lives of witness, service, and purity. We need to recapture something of this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit, helping to bring transformation in our lives, helping us to bring the life of God into this great city that we live and out into the nations of the world. Guys, we need life in the Spirit. This town needs us to be a church that is full of the life of the Holy Spirit. It's crying out, has somebody got an answer to this mess of a life? And you know the local church is the hope of the world. But it's the local church that is empowered with the presence of God, breathing, breathing the breath of God into the local church. And so I hope that this is far from an intellectual exercise, but an invitation to encounter God afresh. The, the, our need of the Holy Spirit and the Apostle Paul's understanding of the Holy Spirit is that this is an imperative for the local church. It's not an optional extra. It never has been an optional extra. It's God's plan for the local church. It's how the local church is to work and be effective. 
And so we don't move on from the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to say that really clearly this morning. We are not moving on from the Holy Spirit. Okay, we need more of the Holy Spirit. We need more empowering. We need more, we need more gifts at work. We need more of his presence amongst us. That's not some intangible thing. It's us pursuing a hunger and thirst for the presence of God. And I believe he's been doing that even this morning. In both meetings, there's been a, a hunger for the presence of God. And so God is doing that. So what I want to do this morning is really start by just kind of going, okay, foundation moment, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit and what's he like? Because if we get our understanding of the Holy Spirit wrong, the thing that we build on top of it will look like a building that's kind of fallen over. It's, it's, it's a critical foundation to who we are as God's people. And so for a moment, I'd love us to just engage with the Bible, asking that question, okay, who is the Holy Spirit? You see, the Holy Spirit is not somebody who suddenly appeared on the scenes in the 1950s and the 1960s as charismatic renewal suddenly kind of took off in local church life. And people kind of came along and kind of went, oh, we found this thing called the Holy Spirit and he seems to spice up our meetings a little bit. He seems to kind of make it a little bit exciting to be in the local church. If we're not careful, we can think like that, that the Holy Spirit is a new discovery. Hey, if that's what you think, you're kind of out by a few squillion, bazillion years. You see, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is God. He is God. God is Trinity. The Godhead is a Trinity. He's a Trinitarian God that we worship. That means there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible makes it incredibly clear that the Holy Spirit is God. And so right back in, right back in Genesis chapter 1, we, we read about the Holy Spirit was there at the beginning of creation. He was hovering over the waters, over the, the, the empty, formless earth at that point. He was hovering, brooding, involved in creation. And then we look through to the book of Revelation and, and the, the apostle John, he says, the Spirit and the bride, that is the Holy Spirit and the church are saying, come Lord Jesus, come and return. He's, he's, the Holy Spirit is there in all of human history from beginning to end. But, but more than that, he is God eternal. He has eternally existed as the spirit that proceeds from the Father and the Son. He has eternally existed and he will exist into eternity as God. These are really important things that we understand that when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about a thing or an object. We're talking about God himself. Sometimes you might have heard it said, or we sometimes use the language of the third person of the Trinity. So you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now I understand why we do that, but at one level that can be slightly unhelpful because we think he's a a lower, slightly lower order of God in the Godhead. Hey, but Jesus gave the Holy Spirit the same status as he gives to himself and the Father. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is commissioning his church, the first disciples. He's saying, I'm forming you into my new community, the church. And before he's ascended to be with his father, he says this to his followers. He says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Okay, that's your mission. The reason you are here on earth is because there are people who have become followers of Jesus Christ. 
from every nation, every ethnicity, every culture, every people group, there are to be disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of him. And Jesus says this, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hey, guys, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself puts the Holy Spirit on the same plane as he does with the Father and himself. Hey, Father God, Father, I mean, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's so important that we understand that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about God himself. And so that this Trinitarian God that we love and worship, where, where love flows between this Godhead and the Father loves the Son, and, and the Son loves the Father, and the Spirit loves both of them, and they both love the Spirit. And, and out this side of heaven, I tell you, trying to get our head around the Trinity is nigh on impossible. But one day we're going to have all of eternity to go, wow, God is community. And he's, he's invited us to explore what this community life of love and perfection looks like. He's invited us into that. But nevertheless, the Holy Spirit is a key part of the Holy Spirit. He's not less God than the Son and he's not less God than the Father. He is God. So, as we said, Matthew chapter 28, he's referred to as God. In Acts chapter 5, you'll, you'll know the story where, um, oh, I'll read it. Ananias and Sapphira, they've just sold a plot of land, this couple in the church. And we get told this story. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for this piece of land you sold? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just to human beings, but you have lied to God also. See, the issue wasn't how much money Ananias and Sapphira were giving. They, the money was theirs. They could have done with it what they like. The issue was that they lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to the Holy Spirit. They said, we're going to pretend we're giving all of the money. But they only gave part of it. And in doing so, Peter's saying, hey, you haven't just lied to men, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. He finishes by saying you've lied to God. So Peter and the early church understood the Holy Spirit is God. They had no problem with that. It's really important that we see that. And I tell you what, I bet that moment brought fear upon the local church. Okay, God is holy. Let's not mess with the holy God. This God who is love, he's and full of grace and mercy. He's still a God of holiness and, and justice and righteousness. Let's not toy with God. Guys, I just want to give you the same warning. Let's not toy with God. So he's referred to as God. And throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit's name is interchangeably used as God's name, with God's name. He has the attributes of God. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, I'm going to rattle through some verses. I'll put them up on Facebook and on the website so you, don't, you won't be able to keep up with making notes if you are. But he has the attributes of God. So in 1 Corinthians 2.10, we see that he's omniscient. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, we see that he's omnipotent. And in Psalms 139, verses 7 to 9, we see that he's omnipresent. That is, he knows all things. He is all-powerful and he is all-present. Through the scriptures, we see that the Holy Spirit has the attributes of God. He's not different. He's God. 
He's referred to by different names throughout Scripture. So in most of the Bible, in most of the Scriptures, and you can read this in Acts 16 if you like, he's referred to as the Holy Spirit. But he's also referred to as the Spirit of God in Genesis 1.1. In Acts 16 and verse 7, he's referred to as the Spirit of Jesus. And in John chapter 16, verse 26, he's referred to as the Counselor. And so the Holy Spirit has these names that are given to him, but it's not, it's not there's lots of different Holy Spirits. There's one Holy Spirit, but he has these names. He's the Spirit of God. He's the Spirit of Jesus. He's the Holy Spirit. He is the Counselor. And he has many different symbols to help us understand in our finite minds of who the Holy Spirit is and what he's like. The, the writers of the Scriptures, they give many symbols of what the Holy Spirit is like. And so they say he's like water. You can see that in John chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 3, he's, he's, we're told he's like fire. In John chapter 3, he's like wind. In 1 Samuel 16, he's like oil. In Psalm 72, we, we're told that the Holy Spirit is like rain. In John chapter 1, you remember Jesus at his baptism. He comes up out of the water. And then we're told that the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and rested upon Jesus. In Acts 2 and Ephesians 5, we're told that the Holy Spirit is like a wine. The wine of the Spirit. And in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 4, we're told that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's a seal of God upon our lives as believers. It's incredibly, this incredible great picture. How do I know I'm part of the people of God? Well, in the Old Testament, it's because you had the sign of circumcision. So, so you went around, you say, hey... I don't know how it worked. I don't think you could say, can I just check? But it was known that the sign of belonging to the community of God's people was a sign of circumcision, a piece, removal of a piece of flesh from a man's genitals. That was a sign you belong to the people of God. Do you know, there were actually other communities that also used circumcision, but God gave circumcision to Abraham as a sign. This is what it means to belong, to be part of my community. So into the New Testament... We don't do circumcision anymore. That in the early church, you can read Paul's letters, the epistles. There are churches that were confused over this issue. People were saying to early believers, well, you need to be circumcised if you really want to be part of the people of God. And Paul says, no, no, you don't need to do that. Because now we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a, a sign and a seal on our hearts that we are God's community. So in the same way that in the Old Testament there was a visible sign, so too into the New Testament, into the age of the Spirit as we are, there's a visible sign. Oh, the sign of the Holy Spirit. Hey, how do I know I'm saved? Can I know I'm saved? Yeah, yeah, I can because the Holy Spirit is a sign and a seal on my life. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 22, we, we hear this great scripture where we're told that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance. So he's been given to us as a down payment, a deposit saying, yes. You will become fully sanctified. You will be fully saved. We are saved. We're being saved. How do we know? Because the Holy Spirit is a deposit saying God's workmanship. God's saving them. God's guaranteed inheritance. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit carries out the work that only God can do. So there's some things, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, that that by nature of being God, only God can do them. 
So the Holy Spirit, we, we see that in Genesis chapter 1, don't we? That he's involved at the beginning in creation. He's a creative spirit. He's absolutely involved in that process of creation. Only God can make out of nothing. Hey, we can build houses, but we can't make out of nothing. The Holy Spirit does what God can do. And also then we, we see that the Holy Spirit does what only God can do. He casts out demons. The Holy Spirit is involved in casting out of demons. But even more than that, the Holy Spirit comes and he regenerates the human heart. He brings new life, new birth to the human heart. Let me just read some scriptures on this because this is, I just want to pause here for a moment. This is so important. We understand that the Holy Spirit is fundamentally involved in the process of conversion. So what happens to me when I'm saved? I tell you what happens. You place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin reconciliation with God, peace with God, the removal of guilt and shame and and sin from your life. Jesus took that on the cross for you. And in its place, he gives you his righteousness. But you know, the Holy Spirit is also involved in that work of salvation in your life. He's utterly involved. Listen to this. John 3 could not be clearer that the Holy Spirit is the agent of regeneration in the life of a Christian says this, Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, unless they have been born of water and the Spirit. You want to you eternal life? You want to enter the kingdom of God? We need to be born of water and of the Spirit. In Titus chapter 3, verses 5-7, um, the Apostle Paul wrote this, He saved us, that's God, through the washing of rebirth and renewal By the Holy Spirit, who he poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus, our Savior. We are baptized into the Holy Spirit through Jesus. Jesus baptizes us into the Holy Spirit. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit through belief in the truth. Romans 15 verse 16, proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Just a couple more. Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14. Paul says this, And you also were included in Christ Jesus when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked with a seal, as we were just saying a moment ago. Not a seal that's like, you know, a stamp seal of approval, like a letter, a wax letter. Not wax letter, that would melt, whatever. Moving on. The promise of the Holy Spirit. You were sealed, and he is a deposit in guaranteeing your inheritance. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership upon us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, again, guaranteeing what, to, what is to come. So the Holy Spirit, I want you to see this, is absolutely involved in the, in the work of regeneration, in the work of giving you new life. You see, you were dead to God, dead in your sins, lost in your iniquities. You were cut off, separated from God. You were as good as dead. You didn't one day... Think, I've got a good idea. I'm now going to believe in Jesus Christ. Tell you what, dead people don't think anything. They have no thoughts. But the Holy Spirit comes. 
And he breathes life into you. And he opens your eyes to see and behold the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ. And when you behold that, the wonder of what God's done for you in and through his son Christ Jesus, the provision of the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world, in that moment you see and you go, I believe. I believe, I trust. I place my faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin. And the Holy Spirit breathes life, in, breathes life into you so that you can believe in Jesus Christ. See, it's not you who saved yourself, it's God who saved you, even when you were dead, even when you were lost in sin, and when you were perishing, God so loved you. They breathed life into you, because he wants to know you. And then the Apostle Paul, this great short verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we were all baptized into, by one spirit into one body. Sam Storms, uh, American pastor, he said this, these verses unequivocally tell us that conversion is when we are born of, renewed by, sanctified by, received, marked by, sealed by, and Sam Storm says, and baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want to make a point. We're not going to get stuck on this. In the, around this issue of when do I receive the Holy Spirit? When am I baptized in the Holy Spirit? In churches, there's a, people say it happens everything when you're converted, when you, when, you, when you confess your faith in Jesus Christ, at that moment you get the Holy Spirit. And in other churches, people say, no, it's not like that. You, you, you're saved, and of course there's a, you've received the Spirit, but there's something more that you're waiting for. You're waiting for a baptism in the Spirit, and a, a, a special encounter with the Spirit of God. Can I just park that one for this week, and we will visit that one next week. Do you know, I think there is a simple answer if you want to go, well, what, it, what is it? It's this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. All of these verses that we just went through then, they clearly tell us that to become part of the body of Christ, you need to be born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is vital to your walk with Jesus. It's vital to your your salvation of your soul and your eternal life. You see, Jesus is the gift of God. And it's our faith in Christ Jesus that saves us. But the Holy Spirit is an agent that's mightily at work giving us new life, and saving us by our faith in Christ Jesus. These are important things that we get hold of them. Not only that, the Holy Spirit does the works of God. You see, so he is God. He doesn't just look like God and he doesn't seem to have the attributes of God. He is God and he has the attributes of God. And he does the things of God, but he also does the works of God towards us in other ways also. And so that includes that he speaks to us. He gets hold of truth and he illuminates it and gives revelation to the follower of Christ Jesus. As we read the scriptures, he brings understanding and revelation. Like a light bulb going, ding, I get it, I see. I see, not because I've got wisdom to understand the things of God, because the things of God are foolishness to this world. And foolishness to those who are perishing, but those who have received the Spirit, those who are born of the Spirit, it's the wisdom of God. And you read the Scriptures, and, and I don't know about you, but sometimes you're reading and you're just reading going, this is great, but I don't quite get it. And then there's moments when it feels like, wow, God, you're like that. Wow, God, you love me that much. Wow, God, this is your purposes in the earth. This is the wisdom of God, and the Holy Spirit brings wisdom as he speaks to us. He helps us. So 
You can see that he speaks to us in Acts 1. I mean, all over the place in the Bible. But in Acts 1, chapter 16, Revelation, chapter 2, verse 7, he helps us. Romans 8, verse 26, we'll come back to that in a moment. He prays for us and intercedes for us. So when, at moments when you're, when you're struggling in life and you're, and you're facing situations where you don't know how to pray, you don't know how to move forward or how to think that we're told that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and prays for us. Isn't that incredible? God's got your back, guys. Even he's praying for you when you don't know. When all you can do is groan and moan, God's praying for you. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. He teaches us, John chapter 14. He guides us, John chapter 16. He comforts us, Acts chapter 9. And he calls us into the mission of God, Acts chapter 13. So who is the Holy Spirit? I would think that the Bible makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit is God. That's good news because I'm aware, even over years of just walking with people in church and talking through the Bible and what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of God, there will be many people who are scared of the Holy Spirit. As though it's some, not it, sorry, he, or, but that's the thing. People think it is some impersonal force that, that comes and takes over and it's a bit like possession, I'm possessed. No, the Holy Spirit is a person that we are to know and enjoy, this person of God. And he comes and ministers to us. He comes and helps us as we have just heard. He's not a thing to be done. He's a person to know and encounter and enjoy. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I could hit this lectern right now and it wouldn't be grieved. I could push it over and it might get marked, but it wouldn't really care because it has no person to it. But the Holy Spirit is not just some impersonal force. He's a person who draws near and who is possible somehow for Christians to grieve as we resist the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Through the scriptures, there's a progression of the, of the work of the Holy Spirit. And what I want us to get to by the end of this morning is to understand next week, we're going to say, the question will be, do I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Why do I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And just for the last few moments, I want to take us through the, the trajectory of scriptures that point to God's work that one day he desired to fill his people with the Spirit. You see, the Spirit of God didn't start there. As we said, he started hovering over the empty, formless earth. That's where we encounter the Holy Spirit, first of all. Hovering in, in space, if you like. And then we're told that the Holy Spirit, we, we encounter him in the garden as the presence of God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And so, so suddenly the Holy Spirit is in the garden walking with Adam and Eve. Next, we encounter the Holy Spirit at a burning bush where Moses encounters the presence of God at a burning bush, the holiness of God. And, and Moses encounters, so we've gone from this, this earth, um, empty, formless void where the Holy Spirit just is brooding over creation to walking that personal relationship, that intimacy of Adam and Eve in the garden and the Spirit. I mean, I just wonder, did they realize that they were walking with God? That privilege that they had. To this burning bush. And then after that, we encounter the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, on the mountain as Moses meets God face to face on the mountain. A short while after that, we see that the Holy Spirit then is confined to a tent. He decides, hey, I've got a good idea. I'm going to go camping for a while. By the way, it's not too late to book into Fusion if you like camping. Um, 
But for, for a while in the period of the Old Testament, we see that, that the Holy Spirit is in a tent, the tabernacle. And he dwells, this tent of meeting, this place where God encounters his people. If you wanted to go and encounter God, you didn't go to a people, you went to a place, this tent of meeting, this tabernacle where God tabernacled with his people. We're then told that, that God placed himself by his presence, his spirit, in a box called the Ark of the Covenant. And God rested in this box, in this mighty, powerful box that went with the people of God and gave them victory in battle. God was, God was confined to a box. And then we're told that God confined himself to, to a temple. So he'd gone through from a, a garden right through to a temple and he rested and resided in a temple. So if you wanted to go and encounter God, you, you went to the temple and you gave sacrifices and you, and you met with God through that. But you couldn't meet with God because you were unholy, so you had to have a, have a priest for you who would meet with God and do that work of intercessing between you and God. Because of your sin, you couldn't come face to face with God. You couldn't encounter him. And throughout the Old Testament, Testament, we see dotted moments where the Spirit of God came and rested on individuals for different tasks, for different moments, leadership, to be a king, artistic skills to, to lead people into worship, leaders of worship, individuals anointed by God for specific tasks. There were individuals who received the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't for everybody. See, in the Old Testament, we see that God is confined, confined by his spirit to a place. But as we come into the New Testament, we see that God confound his spirit into a baby. Hey, God with us, Emmanuel, Christ with us, full of the Holy Spirit and the favor of God. Suddenly, the Holy Spirit was upon a person in a completely radical new way. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit full of grace and truth, walked amongst us on this earth. And we, and we read that there's this progression of this, this spirit of God. But back in the Old Testament, you had, you had people, you had prophets, and, and even, even Solomon and King David looking forward saying, yeah, this, it's not going to be confined to a temple made by human hands and, and bricks and stones forever. There's something else happening where, where God's going to get his spirit and he's going to pour it out on a people. And the Holy Spirit will reside in the people of God. And so you get Ezekiel saying things like, he's speaking the word of God and he says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow me. I put my spirit within you, my people. And that will lead you and teach you and guide you. You see, Ezekiel's looking forward like the other prophets, like Joel in, in that great prophetic word. In, in those days, I pour out my spirit on all people, young, old, male, female, slave, free. And he's looking forward. He's saying there's a day coming when God's going to pour out his spirit upon the people of God. Not just a geographical location, but a people. Not just a temple made by human hands of stone and wood and brick and gold, but a, but a living temple. The people of God. How was this relocation going to, have to take place? Well, John the Baptist gives us an answer. He says, I baptize you with water. That was John's baptism. But he said, and then he said, but one more powerful than I will come. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Hey, that one is Jesus. He came full of the Holy Spirit. And, and he baptizes us with his spirit. When would it happen? This time the apostle John gives us an answer. 
Jesus said this in John's Gospel. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Old Testament, remember, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So right through the scriptures, there's this progression of the Holy Spirit moving from a place into a people. It would happen once Jesus ascended into heaven. That's what we see in Acts 1 as the disciples of Jesus are waiting. Remember Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, I'm sending you, but wait. You're going on mission, but don't go until I've filled you with my spirit. They're waiting, they're waiting, and then the day of Pentecost comes. The Spirit begins to breathe through the room that they're gathered in like a mighty rushing wind. Tongues of fire begin to rest and fall upon the followers of Jesus. They begin to speak in other languages. He gives them the ability to speak in languages that, that means that so other people who from all different kinds of nations can hear the wonders of God and join in with praising God. It's the undoing of Babel. Where language was confused, suddenly in the spirit, in this new community of God, there's a coming back together. God is doing a new thing, a new people full of his spirit. And, and people hear the wonders of God in their own languages. This is amazing. And the apostle, and the apostle Peter, he stands up because people are confounded at this. They say, it looks like all these guys and girls are drunk. Hey, sometimes when the spirit of God comes, it does look like that. He comes in mighty ways and sometimes people laugh and start singing out and looking happy and kind of stumbling. Sometimes, not all the time. It's not the thing we pursue, but sometimes when God encounters us, he encounters us in power. That's what happened at the start of the early church. He said, it looks like these guys are drunk. The, the apostle Peter said, no, I, I tell you what, this is happening right now. This is the fulfillment of God's promise. Far be it from these people being drunk, they've received The Spirit of God. God is now dwelling in his people. The Apostle Peter is saying the age of the Spirit has come. That thing that people have been looking forward to and longing for for so long, it has arrived. And that day we're told that that 3,000 living stones are added together. And you see, the Spirit of God is no longer resting in a place. It's resting in a people. It's no longer in a temple in Jerusalem, as magnificent as that would have been. As amazing as it would have been to go and see this temple where sacrifice happened. Hey, you can go to Jerusalem. That's absolutely fine. You can go to Israel and, and look at all the sights and smells. And you can even get a little vial of water if you want. But it's no different to Swindon's water. But the thing is, is, is this is what's beautiful. This is the manifold wisdom of God. You, the people of God, filled with the Spirit of God, are a temple being built up to the praise and glory of God, filling up the earth. This is what God's done. He's poured his spirit out upon a people. It is absolutely magnificent. Isn't it incredible to think that God, the God of the universe, the God of all creation, the God of all wisdom, in his manifold wisdom, has chosen to indwell his people. Hey, you want to know how we're going to bring life to Swindon? We need the spirit of God. You want to know how you want to bring life into your family and marriage and, and with your kids and, and finances in a mess and your boss being a nightmare? You need the Spirit of God. You need to walk with the Spirit. You want to know how you impact your workplace or your school or college? 
You guys need the Spirit of God. It's not for, it's not for super Christians. It's for all. All. It's very simple. And next week we will look at how does it work? What does it mean to be filled? What should I expect? When does it happen? Haven't I got it already? We're going to engage with all of those great questions. But let me just finish by saying this. You are a temple of the living God. You personally are a temple of the living God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul said this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. But not only are you a temple of God, we are a temple of God. The, the universal church, the Catholic church, if you like, the worldwide church, is a temple. It's a dwelling place of God upon the earth. Ephesians 2, in him, that's in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. He's got, as Paul's saying, that he's got this, this worldwide church in vision. He says, you too, gateway. Hey, you're a dwelling place of God. What a privilege. Isn't that just so amazing? So, guys, we are committed to being a church that is full of the Spirit of God. We want more of the Spirit of God. We need more of the Spirit of God. I haven't got time to, to explain what I did at the end of the meeting, but at the first meeting, but just to say it's not a case of are we a word church? And we love the word of God and we're after the word of God and we've moved on from the spirit or we don't really need things of the spirit. That's died out a whole load of time back. That's not how we think. And we don't think we just need the spirit and he'll help us as though the Bible isn't important. No, that's a bad way to think. We need to be a church that has a huge love for the word of God. The perfect word of God that revives a soul, that brings revelation of who God is. But we also need the person of the Holy Spirit to be pumping life into us. Both for tomorrow as you go into the workplace. For when we gather together that signs and wonders and the power of God breaks out. It's time to expect more. It's time to go after more. We want more of both word and spirit in us. And that will see us bring life to this city as the people of God are filled with the power of God. So that's where we're going. Next week, come ready to pray. Come ready to receive. We are going to pursue God, okay? So... I pray and you're free to go. Father, we thank you that you gave us your son because you love us, as we said right at the beginning. And Jesus, we thank you that you have poured out your spirit upon us. So we say, here we are, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come fill us afresh right now. Come and remind us of our salvation. Come and give us assurance of faith. Come and fill us afresh that we might be those who are full of the living God in our own lives, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you're, you're building us uh, together, a dwelling place of God, a temple of the living God. And we say, more, Lord Jesus. We pray, come, have your way. Come and encourage us. Come and strengthen us in faith. Holy Spirit, we love your presence. We love what you do. We are utterly in need of you this morning, this afternoon. <laughs> So we just pray, come and, come and fill us afresh right now, even as we go, with the power and the promises of God.
Please don't think you have to wait till next week to receive the Spirit. You can be filled right now, even as you go and collect your kids, even as you drive home, even as you're getting lunch ready. He loves to dwell amongst his people. So we love you, Holy Spirit. We, we, we love you. We, we declare your God. We declare your good. We love what you do. We love the way you move and, and lead us. And we say, Lord, as for us at Gateway, we will pursue this radical life in the Spirit as we encounter you in power over and over again in the days ahead. For your glory we ask this and for our joy we ask it also. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen.